Okay, so welcome to the podcast, uh, Above Industry Standard. This is episode two. We have Jamie Schmidt from Sales Transformation Group uh, live with us from Denver, correct, Colorado? That's live, baby. All right, great. So, Jamie, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your history in the industry, why you're here, what you're doing. Yeah, well, first off, thank you for inviting me. I think this is awesome, and I love to the opportunity to chat with other like-minded folks in our industry, right? Um, so a little bit about me. I've been in sales for uh, over two decades. Um, my first sales job was door knocking, selling pizza coupons. Um, <laughs> grown up a little bit since then. And, uh, so I, I got my real start in sales, um, in insurance. I built, uh, an insurance agency, um, from zero, built that up. And then, uh, about 15 years ago, I got into roofing, uh, kind of fell into it, but then I was in the roofing industry for the last 15 years. And that included everything from door knocking to, uh, residential to growing into commercial sales and service sales, sales management. Um, I even spent a few minutes as an insurance adjuster, um, I even owned my own roofing company for, for three years. Um, I sold that when I moved out here to Denver. Um, so about six, five, six months ago, I joined uh, STG. Um, okay. And Sales Transformation Group is I get to talk about, you know, principles of sales and, and coaching, not specific to roofers, but to the contractor space in general. Yeah, great. Yeah, when I met you uh, at that retreat conference in Tulum, uh Really enjoyed the information you had to share. Um, your presentation was great. So, I mean, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on. And you brought up something. You said insurance adjuster. So, yeah. man, I get at least two calls a day from people whose bathroom flooded or dishwasher right. ruined the kitchen. And personally, our company does not you know, service those types of projects because insurance adjusters. <laughs> so what's the deal with that? And I know this is off script here, off the outline. But yeah, no what, worries. How do we fix that issue in the industry of insurance giving, you know, 10 grand for a $30,000 project? Well, you know, that's a, that's a very interesting question and we could devote an entire podcast just to that. Yeah. Um, but in my opinion, you know, in, insurance carriers are at their, at, at, at the core, they are for-profit entities, right? Mm -hmm. And two things really stand out. They have a fiduciary responsibility to protect their bottom line, right? So they're, they're, they're not offering settlement of claims out of an altruistic standpoint where they're just trying to help people. They have a financial in, you know, interest to, they would say, be as honest and um, accurate as possible. I would say that, that the average adjuster is not properly trained and does not understand all that goes into, um, unfortunately, how, what a repair actually entails, particularly uh, an interior one um, like you were describing, where there are so many moving parts, so many different contractors, so many different trades. You know, it's very easy for adjusters to go through a, a, a you know a, a three or four hour class on typical issues that contractors you know, raise, um, and then and they're running the margins, the margins of, they run like a 
ten percent overhead, ten percent profit, like the old school concept of that's what you need to charge on top of your hard costs to make a living, right? Yeah. Our overhead is uh, like thirty uh, percent yeah. of a project, so yeah. there, it's just it's not feasible at all. Their, their margins are like fifteen percent gross profit margins that they're bidding these homeowners. No contractor with any sort of customer experience, which we're going to get into, can afford to take on an insurance project. And yeah, it breaks my heart having all these people that, you know, uh, remediation comes in, tears their kitchen apart, tears their bathroom apart. They can't use it anymore. And then insurance leaves it up to them to like, you know, find a contractor that's willing to do it for pennies. And yeah, it's just, it's a, in my opinion, a broken industry in a lot of ways. And I've been thinking of solutions and I can't find any. Well, you know, it's really interesting that, um, it depends on which side of the coin we're talking about, and I'll explain. So on uh, the interior side, right, let's say you have a pipe burst in your house or you have a kitchen fire, right? There is no subjectivity involved with, yes, there was a kitchen fire. I can see the, the damage. There is no discussion. There is no argument about did a kitchen fire actually happen or did this pipe actually burst, right? The evidence is there and it's undisputable. Um, On the exterior side, right, we're usually talking about hail and wind damage. Um, There is a level of subjectivity to that, right? Not every hailstone that falls out of the sky is large enough to do damage. And so if I'm playing devil's advocate, the insurance carrier will be like, well, this is only half-inch hail, and you're trying to say that the entire roof is demolished, right? So there there does need to be some on the contractor side that need to own what they are trying to do, right? Does that mm-hmm. make sense? We yeah. should not, as contractors, be trying to get something approved through the insurance that has no business being uh, a claim being filed for it. Truly, right? yeah. And it's, so, that's what, when we're giving that insurance proposal, we actually we charge – for those, because the success rate is so low, and we need to protect that yeah. time. But uh, just yeah. to help homeowners out get their third bid or whatever it may be, and we're really yeah. detailed in our proposals, mm-hmm. um, I always explain to them, they don't care what you want to do in your kitchen. They mm-hmm. only care about what was in your kitchen. Right. And it needs to be like for like, exact mm-hmm. price points. Um, you know, I'm not depreciating, you know, their 1990s oak, you know, golden <laughs> oak stained cabinets, you know, right. but... Yeah. Anyways, let's get back on track here. Sorry, but this yes. does tie into what you're passionate about because I'm passionate about helping people. That's why right. I really enjoy sales um, the, and marketing in general. Um, what got you into sales? What made you passionate about what you're doing to now ex- ultimately be a sales coach? Yeah, great, great question. And there's actually a couple of different ways that I could answer that. So if you'll indulge me for a minute, I'm going to. I will. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about a couple of different things here. The USA, hey, what got you into sales, right? So I've been in sales almost 25 years. So like, I'm right out of college. I'm, you know, brand new married. And I had people saying, boy, you are good at talking to people, you should get into sales, right? Had no idea, no idea. I had a little bit of an idea. My father um, was also in the insurance industry on the health insurance side, and he was more of an account manager, not a salesperson per se, but he had a block of business, and he was supposed he was charged with growing an existing block of business. He was not out hunting for new. 
Um, so I had people in my life saying, hey, you talk really well and you, you know, you, you're comfortable in social settings. You're very outgoing. You should be in sales. And while all of that was and is true, what I found is that that is barely the starting point for what makes an effective, high-performing salesperson, right? And so I learned a lot of lessons, had very little training, very little uh, help, very little instruction, very poor management, to be honest. Um, most most managers, I'm going to I'm going to paint with a very broad brush here, but most managers aren't very good at leaders at leading, right? And most leaders aren't super great at managing, right? Cuz there are two different things here at play, right? 100%. So, as far as learning the craft of sales, learning, you know, you you really you're you just get out there and you get beat up and your nose is bloody and you pick yourself back up and you do it again. And then you get your nose bloodied again. You pick yourself up and you do it again. That doesn't sound very appetizing, right? <laughs> so um, It's so true, though, if you don't have you know, the right the right tool set. yeah. But then, you know, you have this big giant carrot of, well, if I make sales, I make more money. And there's no limit to what I can make. So for the guy who's inclined to, hey, I want to see what I'm actually worth. You know, that that provides the motivation to get up and do it again. So when you ask me what I'm passionate about when it comes to sales, I actually I spent many years in college as a coach. I I grew up as a gymnast and I was a coach. So I was a coach for about 10 years. And so what I feel like I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to marry the lessons I learned on how to be a good salesperson with a coach's perspective, right? Because what, what makes me passionate about sales, most people say, well, I like to help people and all this kind of stuff. And all that's mm-hmm. true and great. What I like is to see growth. I like to see a transformation. And that's not a plug on our company name, but <laughs> you it can plug actually it. a good is a transformation, right? I want to see a guy who is struggling to break through a barrier finally overcome it right and i want to be able to give them the tools and not just the tools but also the encouragement on how to overcome right it's so easy to just say well do that well how do i do that well i don't know just do it right that's your typical sales uh environment right yeah and that's what i'm i'm passionate about changing that in the industry and and taking guys that are tired or of getting punched in the face and picking themselves up and doing it again. Cause when you're in sales, you are the tip of the spear, man. You are, you are fielding the bullets. Oh yeah. And so that's what I'm passionate about. If you ask me, I like it. I like the approach and it's a good point. I mean, there is a lack of training and I would say a lack of professionalism in our industry mm-hmm. when it comes to sales, it's still uh, pretty archaic. Like the, <laughs> The tactics, and I feel like people really go on one side or the other. You have like the super knowledgeable uh, in the field contractor who's also self performing most of the work, doing right. the sales, doing kind of the one man shop contracting business. I almost feel like that person is the most genuine salesperson because it's directly a reflection yeah. of him and his business. Um, yeah. Like for, like right now, I'm doing sales in our company, right? And mm-hmm. no one's going to sell as good as the owner sells, right? Because I have the best story to tell because I have the story. I was helping create the story. It is your story. It's yeah. our story, yeah. Uh, 
And so actually that's why we reached out to you guys in the first place was to see how we can make a well-trained, well-managed sales force um, behind our company. So with that, and we talked about the management and leadership and how you kind of have one or the other, and it's very tough to combine those. That's kind of a, a unicorn. I agree with that. What issues are you seeing in the companies that you're working with that are most common in their sales process and their sales team? Yeah. Well, I would say that, that one of the things that, that I get to do now in terms of I'm not in the trades anymore, meaning laser focused on roofing sales, right? Yeah. I actually get to, to have conversations with all kinds of contractors from all over the country, um, and really dig into their story and find out where they're struggling, find out where they need help, right? It's not wrong to need help. And you shouldn't be ashamed if you are have hit a, 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 a level and you just can't seem to take it to the next level, right? There's nothing yeah. wrong with that, right? It's all called growth, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and there's a really neat analogy about that. It's like, you know, if you ever walk <clears throat> down, a, you know, a path or something, and you see a tree that has grown up and around and through like a boulder on the side of the road, right? Or a side of the path, right? That is such a good picture of the type of growth that a business can do, right? That boulder is the object in front of you that you're trying and you can grow around it. You can go over it. You know, sometimes you can move it entirely, but the word picture is that boulder isn't going to stop me. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, when I think, uh, when I hear, when I talk about these things with contractors and I listen to their stories, the, the two things that come out really are, at least from a sales perspective, is a lack of a unified sales process, right? In Sales are an inevitable result of a good process. You have good processes, sales are going to happen. I'm not guaranteeing 100% close rate. But what I am saying is that your process, the quality of your process will directly lead to the quality and the quantity of your sales, right? So the first main problem is the lack of a unified sales process, right? Or, you know, the other is... And so, sorry to interrupt you really quick. Yeah. Talk about that sales process. So talk about what I think of is that keynote, right? Yeah. Um, Mr. Warwillow, right? Uh, the TVR, <laughs> teachable, valuable, repeatable. Yeah. And when you're building a sales team, that process has to be all three of those things. We have to bring uh, extremely teachable process to help scale that team. Right. Um, it has to be valuable, one, to really reward our salespeople and be valuable to the homeowner. It has to be repeatable. It has to be consistent. Yeah. So talk about maybe in my mind, I have like the pre-walk, the walk, the post-walk. What are you looking for in that process that is highly valuable, highly repeatable, so you can have a quality process? That is such a great question. So here is the – when we talk about not a unified sales process, most people – and when I say people here, contractor – most contractors, their sales team is – taught by the guys that are already there, right? So if their process is flawed or not unified, maybe you got one guy that's a high performer and he's just a phenomenal sales guy, 
But then you got two other guys that are doing their own thing. And so you've got, every, you know, a bunch of Lone Rangers calling themselves a sales team, but they're really out doing their own thing. What kind of, you know, process are we actually passing on to the new people? But specifically what you said was the, 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 the pre-walk, the walk and completion, right? In the midst of all of that, there has to be an understanding of you're actually operating on two levels at the same time. There's a technical mm -hmm. expertise that you have to have in order to perform your role, meaning I need to know how to do a proper takeoff, whether it's roofing, whether it's siding, whether it's kitchens and baths. I need to know how to physically get the measurements, which measurements I need. You know, how do I translate that into a readable document so that my production staff, you know, can yeah, understand yeah. it, right? That's all skills that must be an operation in a salesperson, right? But at the same time, there has to be this, you know, emotional awareness. It gets a little bit, is not exactly what I'm trying to say, but it, it ties into that I need to be aware that in every action and interaction that I have with a client or a prospect, I need to be aware that I am actually in a selling situation, Mm -hmm. Right. So when we talk about process, that really revolves into a couple of things. Right. That and this is much more than what I can do here today, but it starts <laughs> yeah. with Cliff what is a what is a good prospect for me? Who is a good customer? Right. How many times does a sales guy chase a bad lead? Right. They chase a bad customer or somebody who's crazy or someone who has totally unreasonable expectations or even reasonable expectations that I just can't meet, right? Yeah. They might say, I need my roof done in three weeks because my house is being sold and I have a six-week backlog. I may not be able to accommodate. That person is not wrong. But if I don't know that, I am going to waste their time and I'm going to waste my time, right? So we first need to identify who's a good sales. Uh, 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 an opportunity for us in our company. I don't want to chase bad leads. I don't want to waste my time because what happens is the time I spent chasing a bad lead is now taken away from chasing a good lead. It, it can right? balance. Yeah. Right. The second thing is identifying an issue is not the same as understanding why a person is motivated to act. Right. So if somebody calls and says, Hey, you know, I need XYZ service done, right? I got a leak in my roof or, you know, I need new cabinets, right? Or whatever. I, my kitchen is, I need a remodel. That by itself is not the reason that they are motivated to act, right? We call that a compelling reason. So that is always an emotional issue right 100 so, the pain or pleasure right right and yeah. it's an emotional issue right so if somebody if, if someone calls and says hey i need to talk to you about redoing my kitchen the very first thing that a salesperson should do is not immediately jump to well what kind of cabinets do you want right there are you know, that's the car salesman, right? You walk in the door, they toss you the keys because possession yeah. is nine-tenths of the law, right? And yeah. so they want you in the car and, you know, 
all this stuff, and that may work in car sales, but in contractor sales, that is, you are putting the cart before the horse. Mm -hmm. So if you don't stop and delve into, so why are we sitting here today? You've been living in this home for 15 years, and the kitchen's been just fine. Why are we talking? Why why now? Yeah. Yeah. Why now? What sprung this reason to call me to remodel your kitchen? And And if you don't find out that the wife has been secretly hating her kitchen every single day, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you, you, you could accidentally stumble into a sale there because they're that motivated, but more likely you're going to miss it. But the problem is you're going to think that you're in the running when you've never actually created any kind of value for this customer. And so then they're going to take your number and shop it to somebody else. And then that other person is going to get the deal. hundred percent. Yeah. It's very true. Cause you can have two decision makers, you know, a husband and wife or whatever it may be, but there's still a shot caller within that decision-making partnership. (laughs) You know what I mean? And identifying the shot caller and leveraging the why out of that person. Yeah. Close the deal, you know, um, hundred percent agree. And I really like your point on, so we break it down there. We have like operational mm-hmm. facing and then customer facing, yeah. right? And there's two different approaches to there. Like obviously what we're selling needs to be operationally sound so they can execute, right? We need to have all the critical information, uh, the takeoffs, everything that comes apart with that. But within that, you also need to have a customer facing process to yeah. where you're giving enough value and building enough social currency with that customer that they trust you, they want to move forward with you. Um, and that's something that I thought was great with you guys is a baseball analogy, right? You guys yeah. know that baseball field, which that in itself could be another podcast on, you know, right. making it home. Yeah. Well, so, that's, that's called, real quickly, that's called baseline yeah. selling. And mm-hmm. the fundamental, if, if, if the, your listeners are listening to this today and there is, and they don't hear anything that we say, Except this one thing. This is what you need to take away. Ready? If you're listening, get your pen and paper out and write this down. <laughs> if you don't have a sales process, you will always, 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 100% of the time, you will default to the customer's process. And that's if dangerous. you don't walk into that room or that meeting with a process that you are committed to enforcing, not rudely, but enforcing you will always default to the sales or to the uh customer's sales process and i guarantee you that their process is not designed to produce quick decisions or money for you right no so if you listen to nothing hear nothing else take nothing else away that's your takeaway and gosh man that's that starts on the phone right at that first phone call i have i can't tell you how many homeowners we've talked to that says Within the first minute of conversation, just come out here and give me a price. I just need my, you know what I mean? Can't you just come out here? Like, we don't need to have a phone call. And it's like, no, like to make sure I'm the best contractor for your project. We need to have this 15 to 30 minute discovery call. Yeah. Right. We're going to talk about the. We're going to talk about everything here. Like this is the the foundation of the. But if I'm just another number to you as a homeowner, you weren't educated on my company. Mm -hmm. Like, Like when I get a call for insurance restoration or something like that. All I think about is like, how the heck did my number pop up when you went to the Google machine and typed in, I had a kitchen fire and I need a contractor. Why is my name popping up? Like, that's a marketing issue. That's a whole other podcast. But if, yeah, it's just so frustrating um, 
Because it, it is our job as a salesperson to educate the homeowner, build trust with the homeowner, and then package it up and make it executional for our operational team. Yeah. So it, it is, like you said, the tip of the spear, man. We're taking all the bullets, and we're also bringing all the oxygen in to keep this thing running. Well, and, Very you know, there's an, age old, there's an age-old truism, right, in business, and that it goes like this. I want to do business with people who want to do business with me. <laughs> yeah. Right? And that yep. seems overly simplistic, but it is so true in a sales component because I, my first job as a salesperson is to identify who I can work with and who I can't. And depending on where in your process to pull, go back to our baseline selling the baseball diamond, mm-hmm. everybody in their mind pictures home first, second, third, and, and you know, depending on how quickly in that process you identify, hey, is this a good prospect for me or not, right? You, I can start the actual part of selling, yeah. which isn't sending them a proposal and then trying to strong arm and close them, right? No. That's the other thing that I run into a lot is they're like, well, can you teach my guys to close? No. No, <laughs> I can't. Yeah. I could, but I won't. Right. Because well, closing is the easiest part of the deal if you're doing the process correctly. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth, brother. Uh, it's the truth. Yeah. These 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 hardcore closers. Right. Like coffees for closers and all those movies that I that I get hives just watching. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Those those are horrible sales processes that rely on strong arm and manipulation and fear at the end to get somebody yeah. to spur them to action. Right. Yeah. There's um, a gun to the customer's head. Yeah. Sign the paper. You know, yeah. what are you going to do? Press on three copies. I mean, yeah, right. There's something to be said about, you know, tactics, you know, as far as anchoring, mirroring. Yeah. You know, I like to call myself a chameleon, right? If I'm with a high D personality, yeah. I'm right there, right? But if, yeah. I'm, if I'm a really analytic uh, personality and they're, you know, let's say like doctors, engineers, architects, those are usually the kind of most difficult customers, but they're totally. really, really, really focused on the micro information. Um, there's something to be said about the tactics, but mm-hmm. that comes in the process. That's not when you're closing, right? Right? Like you can anchor at closing, and there's some good uh, presentation models to use when anchoring price. Whether it's like we do it specifically on full home renovations, right? Like it's obviously cheaper for us to do the whole renovation all at once because yeah. we can stack the schedule, be really efficient on our timeline. Compared to, you know, just doing the bathroom and then leaving, coming back a month later, doing the kitchen, leaving, yeah. coming back a month later, doing the master bath. Right. Um, it's a lot more expensive and I'll anchor that price point. Like, hey, you're saving X percent by just doing everything at once. Right. Um, but once again, the the decision is made during the process, during trust building time, not signing the piece of paper time. Yeah. Well, and, and talking about money, I think that's so important. Openly. Yeah, because that, you know, when in my roofing company, we called that internally, we called that the big boy conversation, Mm -hmm. right? Or the big girl conversation, because I had a couple of salespeople that were girls. Um, we, We use it, we termed it that way, because that is usually where a lot of salespeople are, are, are tentative to go. Right. And there, there is so much involved in talking about money, but the, my experience is the folks who are, have difficulty talking money are usually coming at it from some type of self-limiting belief. Like we call it subservient selling, 
right? Where you come in and your entire posture is one of subservience rather than equal, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so like when I walk into, as a roofer, I would walk into a guy who owns hundreds of millions of dollars worth of real estate. And the temptation would be, well, this guy is way richer than me. You know, he's way up here and I'm down here and I'm just hoping that he will deign to work with me. Yeah. When in reality, I have the one thing he doesn't have. And that's called knowledge about roofing. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't matter yeah. how much money he has or how much money I have. It doesn't matter how much property he has and how much I have. I have what he doesn't. I have what he needs. Therefore, we are equal. Right. And yep. so that money question and that money conversation, when you understand that you are you belong at that table, your the, the, the discussion about money is easy, but it's also part of the discovery process. That's in the initial discovery call for us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, is that ballpark range? You know, historically, we haven't done this ki- a kitchen like this for under, you know, fifty thousand dollars. We've also done them as high as one hundred fifty thousand dollars. If you're between 50 to 150, are you going to move forward? You know, like that conversation. Um, But there's also be something. So like I grew up uh, relatively poor, right? I grew up in a trailer uh, Mm -hmm. in the middle of Jamestown on top of a hill. Like I don't, I didn't come from money. Right. Right. And when I'm, and I had this big issue of being subservient when I first started this, because I'm selling, when we first started, you know, our biggest projects were like maybe 150 to 250,000. And that's a lot of money. It still is a lot of money today, but I had this issue with imposter syndrome. Like who am I to be here selling something that I can never afford myself? Yeah. And so it, it is a big hurdle that I've seen personally that I had to overcome in sales. And now, you know, I could, I'm, I'm cold blooded, man. I could walk into a, a million dollar proposal situation, you know, yeah. and, and act like I, my house looks the same, you know, it does not, but yeah. But you know confidence. what? You, you just described what growth looks like. Oh yeah. And it gets back to what I'm passionate about is, is seeing growth, right? Taking guys. And I, 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 I'm, I'm part of the, I'm so passionate about this because I've seen the growth in myself as the, you know, I've implemented some of these principles into my sales process. Right. And growth is possible. It's not elusive. It's not some magic fairy dust that, you know, only certain people have that you sprinkle on yourself and poof, all of a sudden you're a great salesperson. Right. Yeah. If you work hard, right? There's no there's no sales environment where work working hard does not belong, right? Those people that make a lot of money in sales, they work hard. 100%. <laughs> and know? my thing too is if we're not putting that work in, if we're not working on our weaknesses to make them our strengths, we're not doing our part in giving a customer the best experience that they can have. Right. right. So if, if we're not giving a good customer experience, we're not going to be a good salesperson and we're not going to make any more money. And it's like that cyclical uh, destruction of like internally of a salesperson is like you get shot down. Like you said earlier, you have that bloody nose, you get back up, you get knocked down again, you get back up. But you have you don't you haven't grown any any right. assets to yourself to really be a good salesperson. And with that. I really am focused on customer experience and something that I hope other contractors get listening to this is what are the key points of customer experience in the process? What can we do as an industry to ensure, because that's our goal here at KHB and with this uh, above industry standard, it says it right there in the name of the podcast. We want to change the industry standard. Like we need to move this. We need to make this better. Um, How do we make this customer experience better? 
That is such a, an awesome question. I love that we're talking about it because it's really close to what we're trying to do with sales coaching and training, right? We both see a need, right? Elevating customer experience and raising the level of professionalism in uh, contractor sales. They both go together, right? One, yeah. you know, one has a direct impact on the other. And so what I would say, there's, there's really two things about uh, customer experience that I would draw attention to. The first is Forbes did a study in 2020 and half of the respondents, half of the respondents said that their customer experience was equal to or greater than the quality of the product or service that they were purchasing. Right? They mm. were wanting a customer experience that was amazing. Right? Yeah. They may not be able to articulate it when they walk in the door, right? Or when you walk in their door to talk about kitchens, right? But that is where things are going, right? So gone are the days when people are forced to work with us because we're the only option, right? We yeah. have to grow. We have to understand that the customer's experience, again, we're getting back to this emotional component, right? People don't decide out of their intellectual parts of their brain, right? They decide out of their emotional part of their brain. How do I feel about this, right? When someone says, or someone says, hey, why didn't you, why didn't you do this? I just didn't feel right about it, right? Yeah, it's not, intuition said no. Then yeah. you, can, you can come back to, well, you know, I just didn't like the whatever, blah, blah, blah. But the point is, you made that decision out of the emotional part of your brain, right? So I will say this, and I'm going to answer your question by telling a story. The, I love it. The first... One of the first things that anybody tried to teach me in sales, and again, we're talking about, remember, poor management, poor teaching, poor training, very few resources. The word is value. So the, the, the direction from management was sell value, don't sell price. How? <laughs> How? <laughs> yeah. What is tools. the definition of value? See, there's a lot of, one of the things that I've, I've heard this, you know, I've discovered this to be true a lot in life, not just in sales, but people in authority will often give direction without understanding why that direction is important and, or how to implement that. And this is where my coaching background comes in, because as a gymnast, I am not going to tell a kid who is on my team that I'm giving instruction to, I'm not going to try and get him to do a move or perform a move that he's not ready for. A, he won't be able to do it. B, he could get injured. And, you know, it's just, it's common sense, right? Mm -hmm. So from a coaching standpoint, I would never tell a kid, hey, do this move. I know secretly you're not ready for it, but just go give it a try, <laughs> right? Like that just yeah. seems, it's ludicrous when I- Set up for failure. Yeah. Right. So in the sales world, I don't think most people know how to define value either particularly managers who say sell value, don't sell price. So my story is as a salesperson, I was left to my own device and my own devices on how to interpret what value meant. Right? So I interpreted it as 
Well, Mr. and Mrs. Customer, you're making a great decision by hiring me and my company. We are going to take great care of you. We're going to use great products. We're going to have great labor. You're going to be thrilled with your product, the end product, and I'm not going to try and you know jerk you around at the end for money. Mm-hmm. Like that's how I interpreted value. I I thought it was something that I had to place importance on. Right. I didn't realize until much later, far too long, but that value is placed on a transaction by the customer, not by the salesperson. I don't bring value to anything. Mm-hmm. Hear me. I, it's not, I'm not making a comment on my, oh, the quality of my person, myself, my, you know, my self-worth, my identity, none of that. I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is I don't bring the value. I need to help the customer understand where their value should be placed. Does that make sense? 100%. So when we're talking about this, like if the customer doesn't feel heard and you have not built enough trust that they don't think that you can solve their problem, there is no value being transacted. And uh, I, that's the point I wanted to touch on was right there, solving a problem, mm-hmm. right? If you look at uh, any new startup, right? Yeah. There has to be product market fit in order to have a viable, successful, potentially successful business. There's a lot of things that have to go right, but product market fit is kind of one of the first things you got to figure yeah. out. And the person creating the product doesn't determine the fit. The market does. Correct. The homeowner tells you what's important to them. And it's our job to decipher because it's different with every homeowner, right? right? Not everyone is worried about timeline. Maybe this is a vacation home. Not everyone is worried about money or the best you know, value on for their dollar. Maybe they just won the lottery. You know, we have to figure out like yeah. what is important to them. And that's where it's so important, um, even back to the marketing, finding that ideal avatar of a person that your company values and your process aligns with what they find value in. Yeah. And then putting that customer on repeat in your marketing, targeting that ideal avatar. Um, yeah. That's such a good point that I think most contractors have backwards is well, I need to talk about my company, what we do, what we're about here in this is. No, they don't give a shit about your company. They care about the problem that your company might solve for them. Right. Yeah. It's like if, if I'm a Ferrari salesman and I go to, you know, the poorest part of town and I say, hey, look how great my Ferraris are. To be, you know, <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to make a single sale. Right. Yeah. Or if I'm, you know, if I'm in an industrial park, industrial community and I'm trying to sell residential services. Right. I need to go somewhere else. Right. That's such a great point. Um, I think that that understanding there's no way to get your customer to assign value without asking the right questions. Right. Mm-hmm. One of my issues is growing up that I had to learn and, and overcome in my sales career is <clears throat> I used to think I, I was I was caught up in this expert label. Right. And I thought, again, this is this ties into selling value that I needed to show how much of an expert I was, which would then lend them, you know, bring more value because I'm an expert. Right. So it led me to 
doing a lot of talking, right? I felt like I had to just vomit up all of my knowledge about roofing onto a customer to prove that I knew what I was talking about. And I missed a very, very essential truth. And that is, is that I don't have to say in anyone, to anyone or in any situation, I'm an expert. I don't have to say that. Yeah. A, they, they, they already, they see the, the, the roofing company label on my shirt, right? They should, they expect a certain level of expertise, right? But to take that one step further, my expertise is revealed in the quality of questions that I ask, right? So if I don't know a thing about kitchens, right, it's going to be pretty evident, right? You don't know what you're talking about. You're just trying to force me into a predetermined, you know, package deal, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if I do know, I don't have to say, man, I've got 30 years experience. It's nice to have it on my website. But when I actually sit down with you and I am aware of your customer experience, right, it's not. It's going to change how I talk to you. It's going to change because it's less of me, it's more of you, and it's really digging into how do I understand this person's reason to act, right? Yeah. What is drawing them into movement today? What is spurring that action? If I don't figure that out, doesn't matter. 100%. And another point there that I think is very important is listening. Like we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. You know, your mom right. used to tell you that, Oh yeah. you know, uh, yeah. we do the same thing. Like we, we track all of our phone calls that come in. Right. And if our agent is talking more and it's, you know, agent versus customer on the tracking, right. um, we're at least 60, 40 customer, 60, us 40, our preferred is 70, 30 to 80, 20. Mm-hmm. I'm just listening, asking a great question, listening, taking notes, finding the problem within their answer. Yeah. Um, which is, and there's another thing too about an issue with contracting. You need to understand where you fit in your market. If it's a want versus a need, right? Yeah. Like our, our, our company KHB, we deal with people that are on the want aspect, right? They don't need a hundred thousand dollar kitchen. Mm-hmm. No one needs a hundred thousand dollar kitchen. They want, <laughs> it's a pleasure item for them. It's not a pinpoint yeah. item, which is what really upsets me when I get people calling about insurance and it's like, that's a need. Like you don't have a kitchen and you need one. Right. These people have a kitchen. They want a really, really, really nice one. So yeah, it's a, it's identifying your customer. It's listening. It's bringing value the way they need to receive the value. Yeah. And yeah, a hundred percent. I agree. You know, what's interesting about what you just said. And it's this is I'm going to tie the insurance component into this. So in a lot of uh, contracting spaces, mostly roofing and exteriors, but in all contractor spaces, the introduction of this notion of, hey, I'll file a claim and the insurance company can pay the, the, the lion's share of this thing. Mm-hmm. Right. What that has done and particularly in the roofing, siding, windows, painting, anything exterior, that has turned salespeople into order takers. They're not salespeople anymore. No. They're order takers. By and large. Again, again, I'm painting with a broad brush. But, you know, there's no skill involved with someone says, well, you know, I got this $20,000 check from the insurance carrier and, you know, you're going to sell me a $20,000 roof, 
right? Yeah. Right? Yeah, I'm going to fit the, yeah. 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 So what what the trades needs is a rejuvenation of the ability to accurately identify the needs that a customer has, right? And accurately assess and bring to that scenario a solution that the customer wants, right? That's a skill, right? You can't just walk in and be great at this without being aware and working on your skills, right? There's a lot of analogies between salesmanship and athletics, right? Mm -hmm. And you have tons and tons of athletes, but they're not all at the same level, right? You have tons and tons of salespeople, but they're not all at the same level, right? But getting back to my coaching, you know, I would rather a kid that's less talented but works really hard than a kid who's super talented but doesn't work very hard. The kid with less talent and a better work ethic is going to go farther than all the talent and no work ethic almost 100% of the time, right? So, you know, then when you get super talented combined with work ethic, you get Kobe Bryant. You get Michael Jordan, right? Yeah. You get guys that truly separate themselves from the pack, right? So that is the, the, the genesis of STG is really how can we impart this understanding to a sales environment and a sales culture within a company, but also the industry at large to raise that level, just make them aware that there's much more out there, right? Yeah. And full disclosure, I mean, we did move forward with you guys uh, with yeah. a package for recruitment for salespeople. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't feel sold once, right? I mean, I, I made the joke about you, you know, trying to feed me tequila in Mexico, right. you know, but <laughs> aside from that, you know, right. it was a it was a great process you guys have and you guys really, you know, live by your own sword. So I appreciate that. Well, you know, it's funny, you know, it, I understand the place that people see me sometimes in that if I am not living out the principles that we teach, right. Then yeah, I'm hypocrite. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not saying I do it perfectly every time. Right. But I'm aware that when you say, Hey, we're selling sales training, then they're going to shine that lens on us a little bit brighter. Um, how oh, 100%. are you? I yeah. was breaking down your guys' process. Yeah. Well, for sure. Yeah, I was I was taking notes the whole way. Like, what are they doing that we're not doing? Right. And I do this actually ever since I got into this entrepreneurial world. Um, because we joke that, you know, we're a marketing company essentially that happens to do construction. And so yeah. with that, I'm I'm very eclectic with my uh insights and the things I take in from, you know, SaaS companies, tech startups, uh brick and mortar companies, uh, other contracting companies, obviously. And I'm always just putting out inquiries just to get in people's pipeline. Yeah. And I, I feel kind of bad about it sometimes, but I'm like, I'm your customer, you know, yeah. what are you going to do for me? And I just walk through their full process. Um, and I've really gathered some great information from other industries, specifically the tech industry on how they handle their customers. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, really and that's interesting. You know, when you look at, you know, we do an evaluation when we, when we engage with anybody, we do an evaluation that is sales specific. Right. And over the years, the company that we use that created this evaluation, they have literally hundreds of thousands of uh, evaluations over 10 or 15 years. Right. That they can then, you know, that starts that data starts telling a story 
mm-hmm. about sales competencies and DNA and what makes a good salesperson and you know what's the difference between a skill and a DNA and what competency in a DNA what is the you know what are those differences and when you start paying attention to that some some patterns emerge right and the competencies for contractor sales are fairly low across the board I'm sure right? and yeah. so we're caving with is, hammers yeah, and so that is one of those other industries pay more attention to um, their sales process, right? Good for good or bad, like they they invest a lot of money in you know you talk to a pharmaceutical salesperson and they are that's, killers. That's, that's a whole different world. Right? Straight killers, yeah. Straight killers, right? Or medical sales, or you know yeah. SAAS, you know that, yeah. that, that those are different conversations, right? But well, and it's different environment, right? It's yeah. which we can have a whole thing on B two B versus direct to consumer. Yeah, Oof, like that's a whole other topic. Um, yeah. I, what I want to do is give me your three top characteristics of a, a killer salesperson. I'll give mine, and then we'll button this thing up. Yeah, boy, I would say three characteristics need to be growth minded, mm. right? If you don't think that you need any help, then I can do nothing for you, right? So growth-minded, coachable, and determined, Mm. right? Yeah. You are not determined. You will not keep going when it gets hard. Yeah. Right? And it will get hard. It does get hard. But the breakthroughs are what make it worth it, right? So I would say... Growth-minded, coachable, and determined. I like it. Mine would be empathetic. They need to have empathy, um, not sympathy. Right? right? We're not, you know, we're not really jeopardizing our moral compass to align with someone else's problem. Right. But we need to be able to put ourselves emotionally in other people's shoes. Have a high emotional intelligence and situational awareness. Yeah, um, that's probably my number one. Read the room. You know, know what you need to do there. <laughs> right. Uh, second would be forward thinking always looking for ways to do something better than how yeah. we're doing it currently. And I tell that to my team, whether it's marketing, design, sales, tell me where the hole is and where we think we can improve. Um, and I love people that are forward thinking outside the box. Yeah. Um, the last would be bold. You need bold people in your, in your teams. I yeah. think you need someone that's willing to ask for the sell. Yeah. Um, I think you need people that are willing to, be forward thinking, be bold in their opinions and have conviction of their why. I think that's a very important trait. Um, and so far they're unicorns, you know, yeah. <laughs> they're hard to find, <laughs> but those would be my three. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing is, is that I would, I would, <clears throat> it kind of goes without saying, but there are so many salespeople that are dishonest it's gross. Yeah. It should go without saying that honesty has to be part of that. But I, I want to, yeah. a true consultative selling approach is founded on honesty, right? If I, if I determine in my course of discovery that I am the wrong person to help you, I have to have the honesty and integrity to say, ma'am, Based on the, the questions that I'm asking and the answers I'm getting, you really don't need me. You need this guy over here. Or you yeah. need to – your problem is actually not roofing-related. It's HVAC-related, 
right? Or whatever, yeah. right? So there's- Which I think oh, that's a whole other topic. I hate that. I, yeah. I really, when I see contractors uh, with that almost incentivize performance-based pay off of how much they can rip off a customer on things that aren't necessary. Yeah. Um, there's one thing to be said about upselling, right? Upselling, yeah. uh, you know, quality of cabinets, upselling, you know, from courts to court sites, you know, those types of situations. Yes. But when you're just doing unhonest, unethical, low integrity moves in sales, um, it really damages the industry. And yeah, yeah I well, agree. Uh, That's horrible. In- inauthentic people are easy to spot. Yeah. Right. 100%. And we've all, you know, I, I, when I was, when I first bought my, my, when I bought my first house nearly 20 years ago, I needed windows. I had a Cape Cod little house and I had a guy from champion. No, it wasn't champion. I forget who it was. Anyway, we said, Hey, we're getting three quotes. I'm not going to make any purchase decision today. And the guy that showed up, I mean, I, I kid you not. It was almost like it was a joke. He had the pinky ring and the loafers with no socks and he had too much cologne and the hair slicked back. And, you know, he was totally overdressed for the situation. He didn't fit. And he like he wouldn't leave my house until I told him to leave. Like he thought, oh, I know they said they'll not make a decision, but I'm so good that, you know, he even pulled out the. Well, I'm going to, you know, since you've been so good to me and nice to me, I'm authorized to give you a disc. And I'm, I was like, dude, get out. I was like, you should have come with to me with your best price up front. Right? Yeah. But, you know, anyway, I feel I feel a little attacked because I do overdress for situations. <laughs> I 100%, you know, I, it's just what I do. Right. Um, I, you know, I wear, you know, nice pants, tucked yeah. in shirt. Uh, I just got a new jacket I'm real excited yeah. about. And, you know, but I'm not walking into, if I'm going to like a large job size, like if I'm going to a half a million dollar project, more fitting. If I'm going to network, more fitting. Um, but I do, I do know what you're saying that, that sleazy kind of yeah. salesman look that, you know, yeah, they probably the took out alone to get the, yeah, the watching. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was, it was actually kind of sorry. Um, yeah. You know, I didn't, I, I just was like, I wasn't rude to him. I was just like, dude, it's time for you to go. Like, not a good I look. told you we're not, you're the first person we're, we, we don't even know. He wanted to sell me windows. This is 20 years ago. He wanted to sell me replacement vinyl windows at uh 1900 and opening. Hmm. I'm not saying that I think that was a little high. That's a little high for 20 years ago. ago. Yeah. For I mean, 20- that's. That's dang near. I mean, depending on the RO, I mean, that's yeah. almost current price. I know, and yeah, that's I, insane. Had, I had sixteen windows. So yeah, I, I was, you well, know, twenty years ago, you could buy a house for the cost of that, replacing all those windows. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I bought my house, you know, at, for one hundred and twelve thousand dollars in Akron, yeah. Ohio, right? Yeah. So um, it was, I was, just, it was hilarious. It, but I, I often refer to that in, in you know, when I talk to folks, and you know, as an example of what not to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People need, they need you. They need sales transformation group. And if you could tell people how to contact you, get in touch with uh, STG, how they can better their sales process. You know, th- here's the time for the shameless plug. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I first off, I really appreciate the, the time with you, man. This is, this is one of my favorite things to do. Um, yeah. It's just get in and talk with people. Right. 
It's not that I have an agenda. It's that I just want to, you know, I love this part of my job, right? Um, so Jamie at salestransformationgroup.com, right? Um, reach out. I have uh, a Calendly link that I will send you to, you know, you can set up a time where we can have a discovery, just you and I. Um, we'll spend some time talking, right? We're going to dig into your story. I want to hear it. Um, we want to find yeah. out where you are and where you're going, where you want to go, right? Maybe there's a way that we can partner together to get there. Maybe not, but that's what the discovery is for, right? So Yeah, I can vouch for that testimonial for, for Jamie STG. We'll put that Calendly link in the description. Perfect. So if you guys want to book that 30-minute consult with them and kind of get a little bit of triage on your situation, um, I would suggest you do that. Um, but for now, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I do appreciate your time. Uh, I really enjoy your passion that uh, I think we both share for changing yeah. the way this industry operates. Um, so I really do appreciate you coming on, and I'm looking forward to uh, working with you. Yeah, well, I am too, and, and uh, looking forward to uh, you know spending uh, drinking some more tequila on the beach next year. Yes. Oh, yes. We need to do that again. That you know, that's time. that's kind of we. You know, when you set the bar that high, you know, you really have to work hard to keep <laughs> to keep getting there. We'll talk about relational sales, right? Yeah. Like now, I feel like you're my friend. I can't leave now. Totally, you know? man. <laughs> how many times? How many times do we say, "I love to be friends with the people I work with," right? And sometimes that's not possible, but sometimes it is possible. And I want to do that. Um, like if I find myself in California, I'm calling you. Oh, you have like, to. Yeah. Dude, we're, we're hanging out. Drop what you're doing. We're going to dinner. We're going to drink some wine and, you know, whatever. Yeah, if you're anywhere from San Francisco to, let's say, Bakersfield, I can make that drive. Gotcha. All well, right. <laughs> I've got a trip to California coming up here in a couple months. Okay, man. Well, I'll be seeing you soon.